0: Hello, and welcome to the Slow Home podcast, episode number 15. I'm your host, Brooke McCallery, and I'm um, the, the founder of slowyourhome.com.
1: And I'm your co-host, Ben McCallery.
0: You are. How are you?
1: Good. How are you?
0: Yeah, really well. Beautiful, sunny winter day.
1: Yes, it is. It's lovely outside. And uh, we've got dun, 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 a host full
0: Another hostful episode, just me and you.
1: the way it should be.
0: <laughs> but really is. Um, so before we jump into it, today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by audible.com where you can access over a hundred and eighty thousand audiobooks and you can listen to them on your your iPhone, your Android, your Kindle, and whatever other device that you may have. And uh, today you can sign up to Audible for a trial and a free audio book if you head to audibletrial.com slash slow. So one book that I have read, I actually just finished reading, uh, is To Kill a Mockingbird. It's a, really, it's a new modern book.
1: For the 115th time. Yeah, I've read it a few times.
0: But um, Audible has a has a, an edition of it read by C.C. Spacek, which I think would be really cool. So you can uh, grab that as a free uh, – your free audio book uh, or another book of your choice, of course. But if you head to audibletrial.com slash slow and uh, listen to C.C. Spacek, who incidentally is in uh, one of my favourite most recent uh, series. It's a Netflix series called Bloodlines and uh, she's really good. So if you haven't watched Bloodlines and this is completely non-affiliated and I'm not getting paid to say it, I would highly recommend you watch Bloodlines.
1: That's netflix.com. <laughs> <laughs> and Netflix
0: if you if, if you're listening. <laughs> yeah. Um yes, yeah, so check out audible if you haven't already at audibletrial.com/slow.
1: On with the show. So, as Brooke mentioned, this is another, well, it's the second Hostful, official Hostful episode, and um, what Hostful means is basically we, um, or every episode, Brooke um, asks her listeners to send through questions that they might have on either particular topics, particular episodes, or anything at all, and um, we then dedicate a whole show in answering those. So we'll probably get through about three of those questions because we like to go into a bit of detail on um, on each answer um, and some of them require that time as well. So, um, you know, it's about slowing down and giving thought to every single answer. So that's what we're going to do do today. And the first question has been sent in via the blog from Holly who asks... How would one create a slower home with less stuff when their spouse isn't on the same wavelength? You'll get two answers from us. May or may not be similar. (laughs)
0: Uh, This is actually a question I get asked a lot. Um, And it's something I think that people really struggle with too. Particularly when they become you know, really enamored with the idea of slowing down, and they can see the benefits that it's going to have, and then to you know to not have that shared with their partner is, it can be you know it can be deflating, it can be frustrating, and um, you know it's really common. So, the first thing I would I would suggest is to not get too down about it. There's things that you can do that will that will help you to slow down and simplify anyway. Um, but the for me the the main issue at play here is to to not so joshua becker in his his episode which i'll link to in the show notes spoke about this uh similar kind of issue and he he recommended and i agree with him wholeheartedly that before we start you know taking pot shots at our partner's inability to do something we make sure that we've got ourselves sorted first so his advice and mine follows on you know pretty close closely to that is to look after your own stuff, you know, declutter your own stuff, simplify your own schedule, um, you know, make the improvements that you want to see across the board in your own life first. Really, and I mean genuinely do those things, not just, uh, you know, kind of uh, deal with the surface level stuff. Really take the time to work through, uh, you know, both your own physical possessions, but also, you know, your schedule, that kind of thing. And Make it as, as slow and simple as possible before you start being concerned about, you know, the, the lack of interest or enthusiasm from anyone else. And, I mean, that's going to be difficult because, obviously, if you're married or you live together, a lot of your, your stuff and your, your time is, you know, intermingled. But do the absolute best you can to, to simplify your own before you start to worry too much about theirs.
1: People in glass houses...
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Well, this is a really short answer. People in glass houses. When in Rome. You know, (laughs) a number of sayings that relate to this. Or in command.
0: Um, But then the second part of that is once you've done that, I think the key is just to talk. I think communication is a really important part of it. And I think sometimes we assume that our partner might understand why we want to do things or what we're looking for in making these changes. We just assume that they understand why it's important to us. And that's almost rarely the case. Um, You know, they've got other things that are important to them and, you know, other things going on. So unless you're really clear about why it is that you want to slow down and simplify, it might not be clear to them why it's so important to you. So once you, you know, once you've, you've dealt with your stuff and your time, then just open you know, open the door to having conversations about it by saying, I feel I feel um better, you know, the benefits that I'm I'm discovering of, of having less stuff are these or, you know, my head feels clear or whatever it is and ask them if that's something they're interested in having or exploring. And you might be surprised by the answer. And you also might not be, but that's then where compromise comes in. And, you know, when you're married or living with someone, uh, you know, it's it's very rarely for either person you know it's about compromise and negotiation and being okay with that you know not being resentful about it
1: Big-headed or everything else that goes with that as well um for me a personal experience was when you started to go through that less stuff process and it does take a long time it's not something that happens overnight but for me um the benefits greatly outweighed any sort of negatives of holding on to stuff so I just love the fact that the house looked cleaner. Mm-hmm. There's less stuff, less clutter. Um I love the fact that it we it didn't take that long to clean the house. It's me saying this who hardly ever cleans the house, but you know, it, and and the 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 benefits just great I think, you know, greatly outweigh the the negatives of it. One one thing that sort of sort of kicked me into gear if you like was when I came one, came home one day and looked into our shared wardrobe and you had probably a third of the clothes that I had in my wardrobe. So um, that really sort of for me was the sort of tipping point. I was like, I've got to do something about this.
0: Did I ever declutter anything of yours that kind of pissed you off? I really don't think so. I, I don't think so either. That wasn't a loaded question. Um, I mean, you've, yeah, really, I, it was a very amiable kind of process for us because, but I will say that's made this made the case because neither of us are particularly sentimental and neither of us had particular attachments to things anyway. I know there's lots of people who have, you know, they have their collections or they have their things that, um, you know, it springs to mind immediately, people with, you know, Star Wars toys, for example, or, you know, things like that, that when you move in together or when you get married and share a space, that kind of stuff becomes much more fraught because one partner might love it, like just genuinely love it, and another partner not. So that's where, you know, we've been very fortunate that it just wasn't an issue for us. Um, Yeah.
1: Yeah, so it didn't – you're right, because I I came from that – I hated clutter anyway. Like I really wasn't a collector or anything like that. Um, I mean, I did have stuff, stuff that I could obviously get rid of. But, um, yeah, just really, you know, wasn't into the whole material item. So I think that sort of helped us. Um, Might not help anyone else, but um, it certainly made it easier for us.
0: Mm. So, I mean, I know it's kind of been a rambling response, but... I think that's because there is no easy one answer for the question of what if someone's not on board. But my my, I, this is the advice that I always give anyone who asks me: it's to deal deal very well with your own stuff first, and then just continue to communicate. And communicating is very different to nagging. You know, just. Mentioning how easy it is or how much better you feel or whatever and just asking, just asking the questions and being prepared to listen to answers that you might not want. Do you think
1: purgatory is a good tactic to use?
0: Yeah, I do actually. You mean like putting stuff away?
1: Same brain. <laughs> 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 I honestly didn't think you knew what, what I was going there, but well done.
0: We've been together for a yeah. while. Um, yeah, I do. So that that could be a, a technique that you could offer to your husband or your wife or, you know, your partner and say, well, actually, you know, there's two ways of going about it. I'm not at all a fan of taking things without asking, particularly things that belong to, you know, to someone else. Uh, but I know that, um, Courtney Carver kind of had a really interesting technique to deal with that. She spoke about the things that – that the clutter that, they be, that you become blind to. So she had these vases in her bedroom that had been there for years. And, you know, like on the surface of it, they were lovely and they liked them and they had some kind of meaning behind them. But she said we, neither her or her husband paid attention to them or, or found them, you know, they, they just didn't even notice them anymore. So she put them away. She put them like in a, in a cupboard or something for six weeks uh, and her husband didn't notice and she liked the space better without it. And then she put them back. In 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 place, and then said to her husband, "I'm thinking of you know decluttering these. What do you think?" And he said, oh, "No, no, these are they're very important to us. You know that we really they remind us of of something special." She said, but that they haven't been there for six weeks and you didn't even notice, you know. So I thought that was a really clever way of doing it. It's not hurting anybody. It's you know testing whether or not these things really are important to us, or whether or not we're just so used to them being there that we stop seeing them altogether. Uh, But then the idea of putting stuff away, maybe in a box for three months and seeing if if they're missed or if you enjoy the space more without them, it's a really good idea. I hope that answers your question, Holly. But um, yeah, if not, or if there's, you know, follow up, of course, feel free to email me or or leave another comment on the blog.
1: The next question comes from Eileen, who says that the most difficult challenge is the stacks, piles, mounds of beautiful drawings her kids do uh, when they were when they were little? So I'm not sure whether she's got kids now that are little or or has you know in the past. But anyway, um, are there any tips on sorting through the emotionally charged kids' crafts?
0: Yeah, this is another another common question I think uh, that people come up against a lot, and typically. <laughs> I mean, again, this the the solution that works for you is going to look different to the solution that works for somebody else because we each have our own approaches to you know sentimentality and how to best you know honor the memory of, of our kids when they were younger. I'm I'm having personally like a really interesting process through this at the moment because our kids are they're not they're not in the baby stage anymore. They're uh, currently six and four, and I'm. I'm getting a much better understanding of parents of older children and why they find it difficult to let go of stuff from when the the kids were little. Because your relationship shifts with your kids as they start school and preschool, and you don't you're no longer the you know the only person that they look to for guidance and teaching and things. So um, it can be a really heart wrenching kind of thing to let go of. But the thing that I continue to come back to is that is not them. You know, the, the pictures that they drew at that time is not actually them and your memories of them as children, is it's not tied up in those those pictures. So, you know, that's kind of my my response on an intellectual level but in a practical sense um, there's a few different options. So, like I mentioned, our kids are still very much in – the throes of you know producing a lot of artwork and craft so you know every day we get things kind of brought home from school or things that you know our son makes at home or at preschool and the way we currently deal with it is we have a an art wall in our um in our living room that it's i say art wall sounds very fancy it's like a piece of string strung up between two uh nails and uh it's very fancy very fancy uh, it, you know, I peg things up on the string. So over the term, the school term, I will add pretty much everything that comes home to the art wall. And at the end of the school term, the first day of school holidays, my kids kind of know now that that's our cleanup day. So we take everything down off the art wall and I ask them to choose the pieces that they really like. And they know that those pieces go into their memory box um, and, you know, they get to save them. So the memory box is, again, very fancy. It's each each of our kids has a plastic crate which lives in the shed. And in that crate goes um, the their drawings each term and uh, any artwork, things like that. But also birthday cards that they wanted to keep, anything that's special to them. So they each, I think, have one toy in there from when they're a baby. I don't think I kept christening cards or anything like that. I'm not... I'm not particularly sentimental. So, you know, each person has their own approach to that. Uh, And then once the memory boxes get full and the kids know this, they need to sort through them and make space before they add other stuff. So that's kind of how we deal with it in a practical way. And it just keeps it really manageable. So, you know, when the kids are 18, and to be perfectly honest, I don't think they're going to want much of this stuff. It's not going to be heart-wrenching for them to then think, oh, but mum – took all this time to save it and you know there's guilt attached to that that becomes their clutter and it becomes their burden and that's not something that I really want to put on them as kids I don't want that to be my legacy to them so that's um you know that's the practical way we deal with it if however your kids Eileen are older and you're you know you're at that stage I guess practically there's a few different ways of dealing with it you can you can just let it go you know and that's something I know quite a lot of people have done. People I've spoken to, it and they have felt nothing but lightness and freedom after doing that. Um, but you can also, if you're really concerned about letting go of these things, and they're really emotionally charged for you, you can take the the time and the energy to uh, take photographs of the pieces, and then you know save them onto your your hard drive. Maybe make a, a book of them so that you don't lose. You know, those visual reminders of, of how little your kids were and how sweet their, their drawings were. Or, you know, you could you could kind of split the two. You could take 95% of them and let them go and keep a handful that are really, you know, important to you and either photograph them and, and let the physical items go or keep them somewhere.
1: Yeah, for me, this is interesting because I'm not sentimental at all. Maybe maybe it's a, a male-female thing, but I, I wouldn't um, and haven't kept any of my... <laughs> Art, um, uh, you got to ask yourself: Are you doing it for yourself, or are you doing it for your kids? So, why are you keeping? Are you keeping it for you to remember and for you to have, or are you keeping it for your kids to have when they grow up? So, I know that you mentioned um, the memory boxes. Mm. Is that a memory box for you or for the kids?
0: It's for the kids. Yeah. I um, So when I moved out, my mum gave me, and my mum wasn't a super sentimental person either, but she gave me four or five big boxes of photos and things like that, things from when I was a kid.
1: And how much of those big five boxes did you keep?
0: Mm, I, I have my box of uh, photos that I'm still working through digitizing, but they'll, I'm happy to let them go once I've digitized them. And beyond that, maybe a quarter of a box.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that, I, I don't have there's no answer to this, obviously. because <laughs> it's going to come down to your you know, your individual um you know the experience. But yeah, for me it would just be one question. What are you doing this for? Are you doing it for yourself? Or are you doing it for your kids? Look, it might be the same outcome either way, but it's just I think a nice a question that you need, I think you need to ask yourself. Because if it's for yourself it's just another part of simplifying to me. Mm-hmm. It just becomes part of the bigger picture and um, you will treat that as you do with your clothes or anything else. Um, but, you know, that's that's me and I'm, again, not the most sentimental guy.
0: I do think that it's a different um, issue for mothers versus fathers, I must admit.
1: No doubt. And that's what I was trying to say. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, you know, because so much of I'm speaking for myself here, completely, but so much of my identity since having the kids has been tied up in the kids. That you know, it's um, like it, it, it's a, it's a, it's confronting. I think to see them grow up and you know become their people in their own right, which is wonderful, and that's what we want. But it's just it, it you know it it's an emotional thing. Like like Eileen said, it's emotionally charged.
1: The most annoying part is when you get your kids to choose, you know, the piece. So we do this every at the end of every term. So Brooke will probably do it tomorrow. Right, kids, what what pieces do you want to keep? And they always keep the crappiest ones, always. So yeah, they'll keep the abstract finger painting over the beautiful perspective piece <laughs> with depth of field. And um, so that's an annoying process. <laughs>
0: but you know, it's all part of them becoming their own person, and that's fine. I'm more than happy most of the time to let that go there's been a couple that i've kept because i love them but yeah
1: hopefully that's helped another question that's come through on the blog from lauren and you'll find that this is kind of similar to the the previous question but we've taken a different slant on it lauren asks as your kids grow and develop their own lives and passions they are often accompanied by stuff a lot of stuff so what do you do about their things what do you do when you hit a plateau, not entirely of your own making? How do you start turning from being the one in charge of everything to being in charge of your own life? Because suddenly your family, your kids are taking charge of themselves, but not completely. Good question.
0: It is a really good question. I feel like that's kind of the point that we're finding ourselves in now, Um like I mentioned before, the ages of our kids mean that they're really starting, particularly our six-year-old, she's starting to really become her own person. She's got her own interests and it can be really difficult. So, you know, I think there's a few things at play here that will help, um, The not the least of which is understanding and accepting that that's just part of life. You know, I don't want my kids to grow up being, uh, you know, wrote, learned, the mini versions of me, uh, I really do want to encourage them to be their own person and that means, you know, learning about this stuff because here we are as adults still struggling with these ideas of stuff and, you know, uh, you know our identity and how it's tied up in our stuff. So these are, these are kids who are, st- are only just beginning to learn about that. So I think a big part of it is just modelling um, our behaviours for them because kids will over time undoubtedly do what they see, not what they hear, you know? So it's just a matter of modeling really good behavior and not valuing stuff over, you know, experiences or over relationships, being engaged and taking time to, you know, really kind of connect. And that that's not going to help in the short term. That's, that, like, that's a long game kind of thing. So in the short term, I recommend always giving kids boundaries, um, physical boundaries. You know, if, for example, your children are into collecting Minecraft minifigures, then give them a space for that collection Um, and once that space is full, then don't expand the space. Don't give them more shelving. Don't give them another drawer. Say, this is your space for your toys or your books or whatever it is and once that space becomes full or uncomfortably, you know, difficult to close the drawers or whatever it is, then say, well, your space is full. Now you need to take things out to make room. And that's something that we've done for both of our kids and it it's works surprisingly well most of the time. Uh, so, you know, they both have a, a small bookshelf each and that's their toy space. And, um, you know, once things start to, to topple out, it yeah, it becomes <laughs> obvious to them that it's time to, to you know, remove some stuff that in itself is not necessarily an easy process but again it's about modeling you know what you want them to be able to do as they're older
1: give them an inch they take a mile does that relate sure people in glass houses mm-hmm. now uh, it's really interesting this it's human behavior i think the more space you give someone you know the, the more they'll take mm-hmm. it's sort of like with this room we're standing in right now when we um renovate we had a spare room. We'd never had a spare room before. We'd always we'd lived in a unit before this, um, and before we renovated, this house was tiny. Um, and when we when we did renovate and had this room here as sort of like the third room, third uh, sorry, um fourth bedroom. Um, what did we do? It was just full of stuff, mm. wasn't it? Mm-hmm. We just put stuff in it Rich. because it was here. Yeah. Like we had the space. So we put stuff in it. Yep, we had shelves
0: like multiple shelving units full of plastic crates full of stuff. I could not tell you what was in any of those boxes. No, and it's all gone now. Uh, But you're you're absolutely right. So um, that's you know I feel like I could shoot off onto a tangent, um, you know, talking about the size of homes and things like that, which I won't. But I think that same kind of idea applies to your kids it's you know it's fine of course it's fine that they become interested in their own things it might be music or you know books or comics or whatever and we actually do have a really interesting i had a really interesting conversation with someone who's coming up on the podcast in a few weeks about comic books and figurines and stuff um yeah so that would really be my my practical suggestion would be to just give them a limited amount of space and let them have ownership over it It might be really annoying you know, it might not be how you want it to look. It might not be how you want it to feel. So perhaps if you could keep it in their bedrooms or, you know, somewhere that doesn't impact everybody. Um, but let them have ownership over that space. and uh, But also just breathe deeply sometimes and it's, it'll pass.
1: <laughs> so Lauren, hopefully that's helped you out. So that wraps up our... Hostful, episode number 15, you probably have heard very similar uh, questions here. They're all family-slash-kids-related, um, and, um, you know, that's what you've sent us. But, Brooke, you've got something to say about sort of upcoming episodes?
0: Yeah, I'm getting um, quite a few people kind of asking about people who don't have children or people who are single and the different challenges and you know, ideas and the way that slow and simple living relates to to those people. So I've got a few, I've got some interviews lined up that are going to really speak to that. But also if you do have any questions, I've got a couple, but if you've got any questions about uh, how slow and simple applies to people who don't have families, then please feel free to send them through. You head to slowyourhome.com slash QA and uh, drop me a, a question there. And let me know if there's you know there's something else that you'd like me to cover as well or if you have any questions not related at all to family or uh, I'd be happy to answer them in an upcoming host tour episode. And uh, yeah. Please know that I do read them all and I really do appreciate you you taking the time to send them through and I will get we'll get to cover all the, the questions that are coming in. That's it from me. Me as well. Uh, if you do want to check out the show notes for today's episode Uh, There'll be a few links in there. You can just head to slowyourhome.com slash 15. And uh, in the meantime, have a wonderful day. This has been another episode of the Slow Home Podcast. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe via iTunes and leave us a rating or a review.